What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, the podcast put on by the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold Porter. I am your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, I have a guest star who is Sarah Gray from the environmental group here at Arnold Porter. And you may be wondering why I'm having an environmental lawyer on the podcast that is supposed to be focused on TMT. Well, that is because Sarah's practice focuses on the technology of environmental law, which is super interesting, and it's why I have her on here. And we're going to talk a little bit about climate change, although we're not going to go deep into the conspiracy theories or the real climate change. We're going to talk about a really interesting area. So Sarah, welcome into the podcast. Thanks so much, Evan. I'm thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to have you. And we're, like I said, going to talk about some climate technology. But before we do that, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into environmental law, and how you got into this particular niche that we're going to talk about today. Sure. Um, well, I, uh, I started in the firm's DC office and eventually went in-house with a biofuels company, which obviously there's a pretty heavy focus in that space on climate issues. And then I moved out to Denver for my husband's residency and have uh, rejoined Arnold and Porter and been just thrilled to be a part of the Denver office. Um, my practice is primarily kind of air related. So regulations that apply to uh, air pollutants and um, the climate work has is associated with all of that, but it's helping, helping companies that are kind of interested in this energy transition figure out how we're going to move to a low, lower carbon future. So what we're going to talk about today, uh, carbon capture, is, is related to all of that. And it's been this really interesting area of my work that's developed in the past couple of years. Yeah, so for those of you picturing Sarah hugging a tree or, or chaining herself <laughs> to a tree, that's not exactly what she does. She actually does something that's, that the industries are supportive of, and that's what she just called carbon capture it's also called carbon capture and storage. It's called carbon sequestration. It's called carbon capture utilization and storage. What am I talking about, Sarah? Tell our listeners what that is. Yeah, so it's really interesting technology that's been around for a while, but it essentially takes the carbon emissions that are generated from facilities. It captures them at the site compresses the carbon down into a form where it can be transported like by a via pipeline or, or trucks, mostly via pipeline, ships it to a site somewhere else where it can be injected uh, over a mile underground sometimes. So way, way deep underground and it's stored there permanently. So the technology is really interesting because it's like widely seen as part of the solution to moving towards any sort of net zero future by net zero by 2030, net zero by 2050, whatever your benchmark is, a number of the kind of international organizations that weigh in on this topic have all said that CCS is critical for us to get there um, as a society. And part of the reason that is, is because for some industries, it's just really hard to reduce the pollutants at the source. The technology is, is super expensive or it's just very impractical to do for their processes. So CCS kind of provides a way for companies to, to capture that carbon and have it stored permanently underground um, and, and in that way help, help them reach goals that they might have to, 
to reduce their carbon intensity overall. So we're, ta- we're talking like oil and gas or EMP companies when they collect or drill or mine or whatever for fossil fuels, you can take the carbon out of the process and then you're actually injecting it back into the ground? Yeah, so it can it can be in the um, in that space, like in the oil and gas space, in terms of refineries or um, cement plants, or another kind of industry where that there's been a lot of focus on CCS. The another one is um, in the biofuels space, ethanol plants, because of the way the ethanol is produced, there's this very kind of clean carbon dioxide stream that comes off the the ethanol production process. And so it's pretty prime for using for CCS purposes. So if you just kind of Google it, there's a ton of interest in this space for ethanol producers to, to do CCS projects. Um, part of the reason it can be costly, carbon capture can be costly and why it hasn't kind of taken off is because for, for example, for a coal plant, those carbon dioxide emissions are, they're mixed with a bunch of other things that can make it harder to just have the pure stream that you want to have sequestered. But for other industries uh, like the ethanol plants or, or a cement plant, it's a little bit easier to put that technology onto the plant to then have the carbon captured and sent underground. Either sometimes it's at the site, um, but it's more often going to be kind of part of this larger network where it's being sent to a pipeline and then some sort of central repository. So it sounds to me like this is like a high tech area that's probably pretty expensive. So, and I know that's not our job as lawyers or more specifically your job. So what do you, what do you do? What can you do as a lawyer to bring this type of technology to the market or make it more widely available or make or uh, encourage industries to adopt it? Yeah. So one aspect of this is that there's a federal tax credit um, that's really quite substantial that came about in the last couple of years that is to drive, to help companies to invest in CCS. And there are a variety of kind of people in the marketplace, tax equity investors, the generators of the CO2 themselves, that all want to figure out like how to use this technology uh, and get it implemented. So we help them kind of figure out both the, the tax credit piece, the kind of what, what they're eligible for and how they can use it. And then the regulatory space, this is, you're injecting a, a gas <laughs> deep underground. So EPA cares about this. And a lot of my work is dealing with the environmental regulators at the federal and state level. So they care about how that's done. And it's a whole regulatory I, I bet process. the people that hug the trees care about that too, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they care about this too. <laughs> they care about it being done properly because I mean, the whole point is that you want to get it underground and have it stay there and have it be safe. So this is all regulated under the Safe Drinking Water Act. So we don't want any of the carbon dioxide making fizzy water underground. Yeah, you, you don't want to fix one environmental problem like ozone pollutants and create another one, in other words, right? Yes, yes. We want to make sure that it's all done properly. So we help we help our clients kind of navigate that space and figuring out how they can cite a project where it's going to encounter the least issues, you know, possible, like how to make sure that they're mitigating risks of doing a project. Um, There are a bunch of interesting kind of overlays with eminent domain, where like if you need to have a pipeline cited or a carbon storage facility cited, um, there are some state statutes that allow you to do that by eminent domain powers. So there's actually a whole kind of host of ways that we are trying to help our clients navigate navigate this space to get these projects done. Um, And the tax credit piece is just one of the financial incentives 
that exists. There, there's a program in California called the Low Carbon Fuel Standard um, that has really significant financial incentives for e either traditional fuel or renewable fuel producers that go down this road of having CCS installed at a facility. So they're um, pretty significant financial incentives under that program if you can kind of get these projects done. But here in the US, we're just, we only have a few. We have a bunch that are underway and kind of in process, but they're, they're very few that are actually um, kind of storing carbon today. So when you say this carbon tax credit, I immediately think of Al Gore flying on his jet and then buying carbon credits to make himself feel better. Uh, is this kind of what we're talking about with this tax credit system? <laughs> well, the tax credits are largely to to make it uh, to make it more affordable. There, I mean, there's a separate uh, kind of framework in the climate space about offsets, and it's a pretty controversial topic. But it's it's that what you were just describing with Al Gore and his private jet, um, where you know folks try to buy offsets to account, you know, so they're polluting some level and then they buy the offsets to say, well, we're, we're really, you know, not polluting that level because we're helping to keep this forest planted that's reducing carbon elsewhere. And it's a extremely interesting and complicated space from a regulatory matter how offsets work. Um, but I, I think I think it's a really important piece of the picture. So Al Gore is not, he's not totally off base to, to try to buy um, legitimate offsets uh, uh -huh, to support his, right. uh, his activity floating around in a G5 or whatever it is. Yeah, so all, the, all the celebrities, they fly in the G5 and they're like, but I bought some carbon credits. So yeah. all of you people need to stop using gas and buy electric cars that cost $100,000. Yeah. We can actually buy carbon. I think almost all of the major airlines now allow you to purchase some sort of offset when you fly. Oh. Um, so there's been some push within companies to try to have, you know, we're going to accommodate that in our bottom line, like everyone who's flying for business travel, which I guess doesn't happen anymore because of COVID. <laughs> but once upon a time, it was something we did all the time, um, that they would be buying offsets for for any trip they might they might take. Yeah, so like, I guess the environmental lawyers should be asking the firms to pay for their travel their business travel but also you should be buying the credits too to offset the pollutants that we're at i mean i think so <laughs> all right, i like that i like that policy all right let's go back to this carbon sequestration so a client comes to you if they're going to put you know develop an ethanol uh, fuels plant or a biofuels plant they would come to you and you would help them navigate in the like the early construction period so they can put in this type of piping to be able to pull the carbon out and then shoot it down into the ground is that how it works yeah, I mean, part of it's part of it's kind of figuring out who the players are and who people want to work with in order to implement one of these projects. So you're often not going to have the facility itself try to take on figuring out how to drill over a mile underground <laughs> and sequester the carbon. So there are a number of, I mean, there are, you know, oil and gas companies that have a lot of experience in this space. There are others that have, you know, engineering companies that have experience in this space that would wanna work with the carbon generators um, to get these projects underway. Um, and so we, we kind of help figure out how those arrangements can be structured and what makes sense for everyone to do. Uh, and then moving forward, you know, environmental lawyers work really closely with technical consultants on a regular basis. And we help, you know, help the consultants figure out where are the areas where you might 
you know, face some pushback from EPA or from whatever your regulator is, and we help them try to kind of navigate that. So in an ideal world, these projects can get done pretty quickly, but the, the track record so far is that it's a very long process. So, you know, folks that are interested in it, it's the one of the ethanol plants that installed carbon capture equipment. It took them almost six years for their permitting to get done, which six years. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of multiple iterations. It was the first of its kind. It was the first permit that EPA had ever issued um, for one of these um, carbon capture projects. And so it, it's possible that that's a lot of the part of the reason why it took a long time. But the idea is that these projects are incredibly important. And you know, th this administration in particular cares about CCS, but bipartisan, across bipartisan lines, it's, um, it's something that folks wanna encourage. So there's you know, some hope that the regulators that are managing these projects can help to move them along. So it's not this, uh, it's not such a lengthy process to get it all underway. Yeah, as I often say, this is a non-political podcast, but it's great, <laughs> great to hear something that both sides of the aisle can agree upon. I mean, are there, are there regulations in the works? Is Congress working on this? Is it a state level thing? Like how, how can they help push this forward? So it makes it both financially viable for the companies, but also environmentally uh, worthwhile for everyone else? Yeah, that's a great question. So there has been bipartisan support. There was bipartisan support for this tax credit that's um, already in place. And then there's been activity um, on, you know, Biden's budget addresses carbon capture sort of briefly in terms of additional DOE funding for it. There's been some push to have more funding for carbon, for research related to carbon capture. So where, for example, for the coal plants where it might be harder to get that kind of stream that you need um, to be able to inject, there's some technolo technological developments that could be important in that space. So there's R&D money that will hopefully flow in this area. Um, there at the state level, there's some pretty significant activity, both in the past 10 years and more recently, states that are really pushing this forward. Like Louisiana, for example, has a statute that's quite favorable for operators of CCS projects to kind of help encourage CCS in that state. Texas has a recent um, new law that's also oriented towards like providing clarity around a bunch of aspects of the carbon capture and sequestration process um, that parties really need to understand before they're gonna undertake these projects. Uh, North Dakota has been a first mover um, in this space as well. It has a carbon capture statute. So at the state level, it's a, it's a patchwork, which makes it a little bit difficult for companies. If there were kind of a overall federal framework where it was clear like who owns the you know, who owns the carbon, who owns the pore space or the space in the ground where the carbon is going to be injected. There are or are not eminent domain rights. A bunch of these questions could be settled at a federal level and would provide some certainty. But right now, there are some states where it's just it's easier to understand how a bunch of the liabilities will play out and the things that as lawyers we think about that are um, <laughs> maybe less interesting to folks that are tuning into the technology aspect of oh, no, this podcast. This, look, but, no, no, um, this is technology, which is why I, <laughs> I like this. This is the technology that also helps the environment. But the uh, thing that struck me about what you just said is you just mentioned three very red states that are very ENP industry focused and supportive, but those three states are also 
really all in on this type of project, um, which is surprising, I think, to me, just from a, you know, listening a, a newbie to this technology. But uh, it sounds like this is has wide support, and we just need to find some kind of regulatory framework to push it fo forward faster. Yeah, it does. It does have pretty wide support. I, I mean, I should say that there's. Um... Well, I guess another another state, Nebraska, um, is had just passed another CCS law that helps folks understand kind of what the framework looks like there. But there is there is some concern with the technology um, that environmental justice advocates have uh, brought up related to if the you know if the facilities themselves are still polluting and people are living in these communities where there's a lot of pollution that's burdening kind of low-income and minority communities. The EJ community is concerned that if you just slap CCS, you know, if you put a CCS project on a facility, you're not actually addressing a bunch of the other pollutants that come out of that facility. So it's, it is, there, there's folks on the left and on the right that are um, supportive of carbon capture, but there is some, some pushback that the you know, the Biden-Harris administration is sort of figuring out how to navigate now. I mean, they're, part of their whole emphasis is on environmental justice. And so making sure that where these projects come into place, there's not any more burden placed on communities that, that are there um, already. This is somewhat of a, a pick your poison. Are you, are, what, what are you trying to fix? The, the climate change, environmental issues, are you trying to, to use these for social justice or equity or equality? Uh, obviously, they're weighing both. Um, it sounds to me like you as an environmental lawyer, but also a technical lawyer, because you're involved in these projects, you are just simply trying to do both. You're trying to solve the problem uh, from a regulatory perspective, but also from a technical perspective and trying to get help clients and companies figure out ways to um, help the environment, but help for the, the world around them. So this is pretty, pretty interesting, Sarah. So when, how do you get involved with clients in this space for our listeners that, you know, want to know like, wow, this is really cool. I can be an environmental lawyer, a technical lawyer, and I can help people with climate change. How does that work? How do you get into this space? Is this something that you fell into, you just liked, or, or how did it work? Yeah, I've I've pretended for many years that I'm a scientist, and so the the technology piece of my practice has a uh, my husband jokes that I have a master in science and like largely took like anthropology classes to get that master's degree. So I would say that there there are a number of uh, paths to to an endpoint where you work on these interesting matters. I I mean I had a, a an interest in this since college and before. And then, you know, wound up going to law school and focusing on environmental issues and doing a joint degree that was the master's. Um, so I got, you know, I learned how wind turbines work in law school <laughs> alongside uh, torts. And I got to say the, the former was a lot more interesting <laughs> than the latter to me. Um, so I think there you, you can have a technical background and get into this space, but you don't necessarily need one. I think just kind of an interest in the area and finding you know, obviously our firm does a ton of work in the climate space, um, but they're, they're, you know, environmental groups uh, within government, they're interesting policy positions. Um, there are a bunch of different ways to go. And, you know, if listeners, if anyone's kind of like trying to figure out their personal path, I'm, I'm always happy, you know, shoot me a note. I'm always happy to chat about it. This is what I refer to as the shameless self-promotion portion of the podcast. <laughs> 
for for the law firm that we work in the climate space and we actually have scientists like Sarah helping out solve these carbon problems. All right, Sarah, we are running out of time. So as I told you, I like to do some personal stuff at the end of the, the podcast. And I will tell our listeners that as we were setting this up today, I asked Sarah to move the microphone closer to her face and use the books behind her. And if you were in my office, that would have meant the anthology of Calvin and Hobbes or perhaps Foxtrot in Sarah's office, she moved the complete works of William Shakespeare and Edgar Allan Poe. So I'm not going to ask Sarah what she's reading these days because I might fall asleep. But Sarah, are you watching anything on Netflix? Are you streaming anything? What are you doing for fun here as the pandemic is hopefully winding down? Yeah, sure. Well, I will say I just read The Vanishing Half, which is a lovely novel. It's a really good page turner. Um, these books are my husband's. Oh, <laughs> He's the one that brought the some of the leather bound books to the yes. relationship. Yeah, I have many leather bound <laughs> books in my office. <laughs> yeah, but um, we're actually we're watching Better Call Saul, which uh, from the flip phone technology has obviously been around for a really long time. And we just recently, uh, jumped on board, but we, uh, we watched heist or they call it money heist. Um, uh, oh, yeah, the Spanish show. That's great. It's excellent. Do not watch it with dubbing on it ruins the show. You have to do the work, read the subtitles It's infinitely better with subtitles. Um, but we found that to be, you know, pretty, pretty compelling and worthwhile, a good, good way to pass the time in the pandemic. Yeah, I actually like the music in that show, too. It's a great show. My favorite Peloton instructor plays that song all the time. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. Who's your so, favorite? Alex Toussaint. Oh, I love Alex. <laughs> so good. I'm yeah. missing his live class here this week, and it's really bumming me out. Uh, I'm currently doing a Robin's prenatal classes because you know, oh, that's, that's where right. I am in life. <laughs> that's right. I, I'll give you a shout out and congrats here as we end up the podcast. All right. Well, Sarah, this has been great. Uh, I love having the, a different perspective for the TMT podcast. It's environmental, but it's technical. So learned a lot today. Hope our listeners did too. Everyone remember to like, subscribe, download, and tune in next time uh, to the next edition of TMT Time. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Evan. This has been great.